Good to see you this morning. It's such a privilege and delight that we can gather together. Uh, I was speaking with a church in Singapore, and for over a year now, they haven't been able to gather together. Uh, they still do things online, which is wonderful, uh, but they're not allowed to get more than eight people together, and when they do, they can't sing. Can you imagine us getting together and not being able to worship? Silent worship. Uh, just, uh, we are really blessed, and so I'm incredibly grateful. It's such a delight. As we said in prayer this morning, we never really know what God's going to do, so it's always fun to see. Uh, if you have your Bible, open to Acts chapter 4. We've been slowly making our way through Acts. My uh, daughter-in-law in America, we were talking about baptisms in December, and there were a number of churches that I happened to run into pastors who were doing baptism at the same time, and it uh, seemed to be something God was on the move about, and she said, wow, it sounds like the book of Acts. And so I started reading the book of Acts again, just in my devotions, and it turned into a series, and after fourth month now, we're actually on chapter four. <laughs> so... Uh, it started out, Acts was about the expansion of the kingdom. And if you understand, it's a, the Holy Spirit showing us God's pattern. It's not just a historic record. Too often we read the Bible and we think, okay, this is what happened. Why do we need to know what happened? Because it's actually establishing a pattern for us, giving us some understanding. And so it's always helpful that we read it from that standpoint. Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you're the one who leads us in truth. Thank you that you're already at work amongst us. You've been speaking to us. You've been healing. You've been touching hearts. Uh, we just thank you for that. We acknowledge our dependence on you. I acknowledge my dependence on you. Lord, that I can't communicate the truth of your word and what it shows us about you and your pattern well enough without you. And so we just say, have your way. In Jesus' name. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. As they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. Now this is following what went before this in chapter 3, which was the lame guy who was healed. And... Peter made it very clear that it was through the name of Jesus, the faith that comes through him. This Jesus who you killed, speaking to the Pharisees, and God raised from the dead. And so that's what's gone on. But who are these Sadducees? You ever read that and wonder what's, who they are? Uh, when I was a young kid, someone said they were just a bunch of grumpy old people because they were sad, you see. Ha, 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 ha. Actually, the Sadducees were the aristocratic party amongst the Jewish priesthood, from whom the high priest was almost always chosen. So they were, the, they were part of the priesthood, but they were like the, the wealthy guys. They were like the, the head guys. And so when it talks about the council... It included these guys, Annas and Caiaphas, who were the high priest. Caiaphas was a high priest. Annas was the high priest prior to him, and because he had been 
the high priest before, he was always considered something, someone important. You see in, in Acts chapter 5 that they were part of this group of the Sadducees. But Jesus tells us a little bit about them in Matthew chapter 16. From verse 1, it says, Then the Pharisees and the Sadducees, interestingly enough, if you read the Gospels, you find that it often refers to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees come first, but when you get into Acts, it's the Sadducees who rise up. I'll tell you why in a little bit. Pharisees and Sadducees came, testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. In the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah, which was in the, the belly of the fish, and then resurrected. He's referring to his resurrection. When his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. And Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Verse 12, And they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I think it's probably important if Jesus tells us to beware of something that we listen. The Pharisees were religious legalists. Religious legalists are those who believe that salvation comes through human effort. Religious people try and change us or change people from the outside in. If we can make enough rules and if we can stop people from doing the wrong thing, we'll eventually get them to behave correctly. The gospel is about Jesus changing us from the inside out, or transformed from the heart. But these guys had it differently. But the Sadducees were rational naturalists. What is a rational naturalist? They actually didn't believe in the supernatural. They were anti-supernatural. So Jesus says, beware of this leaven that gets in. I really struggled with, uh, with preparing to preach this in Acts because I thought there's so many good stuff I don't want to focus on the, the bewares. But as I prayed about it, I felt, okay, we need to see this. So these guys were a wealthy elite. These were the guys who, through the control of religion, made a lot of money. In fact, when Jesus goes in and turns over the table of the money changers, these were the guys who were in control of that. And so he says, beware of this leaven. That's who we're talking about when we talk about uh, Acts chapter 4. The Sadducees came upon them and being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Two separate things. They were disturbed that they taught the people how dare you do that? That's our role. Don't undermine our role. And that they preached in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. 
Why was that an issue? One, they were anti-supernaturalists, but that undermined their control. See, if Jesus rose from the dead, everyone can know him. And there is an outpouring of his spirit that can affect everyone. But if not, we control. And we're going to see how that, that works. And so goes on in, in a verse, I'm going to jump ahead. So no, now I'm going to read from here. They laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. It came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas and the high priests, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, these are all those Sadducee guys and the high priests, many of were of the family of the high priests, who were the guys who got wealthy, gathered at Jerusalem, when they had set them in the midst, they said, by what power, by what name have you done this? Good question. By what power or what name? And they make it very clear that it was through the name of Jesus. But then verse 16. What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them and that from now on that they speak to no man in this name. They're acknowledging a miracle. They acknowledge something supernatural happened. A notable miracle took place. We can't deny it. But so it doesn't spread any farther Let's threaten them. I read that and I said, why would they try and limit it? This guy is walking. He was lame. He's walking. Everyone should be rejoicing. And they're saying, no, 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 no. We don't want any more of that stuff. Why? Because it undermines their control. Chapter 5. Verse 17, when the high priest rose up, all those who were with him, which is the sect of the, the Sadducees, they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the prison. I'm just reading you the, the negative part. So the great part is that the angel came and got them out. But I just want you to see why we need to be aware. Chapter 6, verse 11. Uh, this is talking about Stephen, and they uh, secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people, stirred up the people, the elders, the scribes. They came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. They all sat in the council looking steadfastly at him and saw his face as the face of an angel. That's the question. They then ask him, are these things so? And if you read chapter 7, it's uh, Stephen's quite long discourse where he recounts almost the whole history of Israel. And he comes to this conclusion in verse 48. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples 
made with hands. They're saying he's going to speak against this holy place, and his whole argument comes to this conclusion. God doesn't dwell in places. God doesn't dwell in buildings made by man. All that to get to this point. Two cautions about things that stand in opposition to God's plan for the advancement of his kingdom. Two cautions about things that stand in opposition to God's plan for the advancement of his kingdom. God has a plan. That's what this is about. He's advancing his kingdom according to his pattern. But there's a couple things that where our attention is drawn to to be aware of because they stand in opposition to God's pattern. Would you like to know what those are? Of course you would. Thank you for asking. Otherwise, we just quit and go home. The first one is anti-supernaturalism. It's basically saying there is no supernatural. Therefore, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Therefore, the Holy Spirit is not poured out on people. If we do away with the supernatural, we end up with a naturalized religion. In other words, you can't do this without us professionals. You can't have relationship with God apart from us. You can't understand what God's saying apart from us. You can't be empowered by the Holy Spirit apart from us. It's guys who are more concerned about their role and their job security and their wealth. You can't understand the word of God without us. Pages got stuck together. None of us have faced that, right? See, there's a basic thing that happens if we're not careful that basically says you don't have direct access to God. You need us. Now, while this was 2,000 years ago, that leaven has stayed within the church. And we need to be aware. The second caution was about religious control. That's why I was getting to all along, you knew that. But when we say this building is the dwelling place of God, or the sanctuary, then you have to come here to meet God. And we control access to the building, so we control access to God. You're saying, what in the world is this about? What is he saying? When we misunderstand the outpouring of the Spirit, when we think that God dwells in a place rather than in people, when we think the place is holy, rather than the people. We begin to move into something that gives control 
to professionals. We've gone to seminary and have studied. We know what the Bible really says. You can't figure it out on your own. You need us. If Jesus died and the Spirit is poured out, the Spirit will lead you into all truth, the Bible says. So you don't actually need us. But as soon as we undermine that, we have some sort of control. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of, the whole, of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? The you there is plural. It's speaking to the church. Do you not know that you are the temple of God, the dwelling of God? Temple comes from tabernacle, which means dwelling place. And the Spirit of God dwells in you. Put that in context with what we just read. God doesn't dwell in buildings made by man. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have got from God, and you are not your own? Do you not know that the Spirit of God dwells in you, but do you not know that the Spirit of God dwells in you? You individually. That's an individual you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The body doesn't dwell in buildings. The building is not holy. You are holy. You as a people are holy, and God dwells there. He doesn't dwell in buildings. I've often told you about the church I grew up in. Uh But uh, the church I grew up in, we had the room that we met in was called the sanctuary. And there were all these sayings, kids can't play in the sanctuary. No running in the sanctuary. No eating of food in the sanctuary. And the idea is that this is the holy place. This is where God dwells. When we built a building, we were building a house for God, a sanctuary. Totally contrary to the Bible. What is the sanctuary? It's you. It's us. It's not a building. So can kids run in here? Of course they can, because this is just a building. None of you have ever faced any of that kind of stuff, have you? See, the leaven's still alive, but the Catholic Church took this even further. They went on to say, you can't speak to God or hear from God directly, but only through us, the priests. Confession is made to a priest. In fact, so far that the Bible was written in Latin at that time, the, the translations they had, and the only the priests understood Latin and could read and didn't want everyone to have the Bible in their own language. In fact, they fought against it. When guys started translating the Bible into the language that people could read, they were killed by the church. Why? They're trying to control access. You need us. So much so that they developed a doctrine that said communion, the bread and the, the uh, wine, actually become the body and blood of Christ when we pray for it, but only when we do. So we actually control salvation. You need these for salvation, and you only get them from us. Only we have the truth. Don't ever think about leaving us. 
None of you have heard that, have you? We're the deposit of truth on the earth. Why is it important? Because there's a leaven that gets in that undermines God's pattern, which is a kingdom of priests empowered by the Spirit of God, able to hear his voice, carrying his presence to a hurting world. Our mindset has got to change from the, you've got to come to meet God to, we carry God to you. Someone was reminding me this week, I think often churches pray, Lord, give us our city. And so I said, God doesn't give cities to churches. He gives churches to cities to be a light and a blessing. God doesn't give us the city. He gives us to the city. God so loved that he gave his only begotten son. He didn't say, come to me. Come to the temple. Come to the holy place and you can meet me. Now, that wasn't the Old Testament because the Spirit hadn't been poured out. But once the Spirit had poured out, you don't have to come. There's something exciting that happens when we come. You don't have to gather on Sunday to meet God. You can meet him individually. But there's something when we carry the presence of God and we get together, it's almost like a multiplying. There's something that takes place. And it's just exciting. But that's not essential. My friends in Singapore haven't got together for a year. It's harder. So what does this mean? means this. The Holy Spirit is our access to the supernatural. See, an anti-supernaturalism says there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and therefore we have to reduce Christianity to these ideas, to these beliefs, to these rules, rather than to relationship that's supernaturally empowered. A.W. Tozer said, the worst thing in the world is a powerless church because it presents God as unable to change us and transform us. These guys teach a class called Activate. It's basically activating the manifestations of the Spirit, the supernatural. If you haven't done it, I'd encourage you to. But let me encourage you with this. What Jesus was saying, beware, is don't give up the access to the supernatural. Don't let others talk you out of a supernaturalness of God. Don't give that up. It's another part of that, and that is this. You can hear God yourself. That's the pattern that Jesus died to restore us to relationship, gave us the Holy Spirit so we can come into intimate relationship. You can hear God. Now, sometimes we have to learn to hear God by closing out all the other noise that surrounds us but it is a privilege for every believer. It's not for the professionals. It's not for a few. 
Yes, God can speak through the prophetic. But normally, that should confirm what you're already hearing him say. Don't give up control to someone else. See, if you believe you can't hear God and someone else can hear God for you, then you give up control to them because all they have to do is say, God says, and how do you argue with that? God says, you're going to sell your house and move to Japan. Well, I guess I better sell my house and move to Japan. Let me tell you, if you haven't heard God say that, can I say this in this, this way? If you can't hear what God's saying, that's more of an issue to him than where you go or what you do. If you can't hear what God's saying, he doesn't need you in Japan. Right? <laughs> when you put these things together, religious control and stuff, there's something that leaven that impacts the church. And we tend to, or people tend to use God as a way to control others. A number of years ago, I was talking with a, a couple when we lived in Denver. They had been part of a church, and the church was, was uh, sending out a couple to plant. They were quite positive about it in the early stages, but as it began to happen, the leader became less and less excited when he realized that people might want to go with him. And uh, a couple came to the leader and said, you know, we feel like God said that we're to go join this church plant. And he said, God didn't say that to you. And they went, he didn't? He said, no. If God were saying that to you, he'd say it to me first, and he hasn't. See, a very subtle thing that says, I can hear God for not just my life, but for your life. And let me tell you, if you face that, run. Because it's the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. God loves you, and I have a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> run. This is leaven. And it's okay to run. You should run. It's wise to run. The Holy Spirit's saying, get out of here. This isn't me. Let me tell you, if you ever get that here, run. See, relationship is why he died. There's no secondhand relationship. You don't get it through someone else. He died so that we can be restored to relationship with God. And then his pattern is that he fills every one of us with his spirit. 
So we get to not only have intimacy with him, but we get to partner with him in carrying his presence to a hurting world. We get to do all the good stuff. Isn't that wonderful? And anything that undermines that is something we need to be aware of. That's what Jesus was saying. Beware. Be on the lookout for the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Like I said, this was, I struggled with this because it sounds so negative. I hope it's just the opposite. I hope you pick up not the, the opposite, but you carry the presence of God. You have the privilege of hearing his voice. That's what Christianity is all about. You have the privilege of partnering with him. You don't have to come here to meet God. You can meet him every single day. Jesus died for you for that very same thing, that he wants to spend time with you. Don't ever give that up and say, hey, that's unimportant. While God does speak to, through the prophetic, don't ever give up your privilege of hearing God to say, I'll let him speak to me through someone else. If God wants to confirm what he's saying to you, he can do that through, through the prophetic. But it should be a confirmation. What a privilege. What an honor to come to his presence, to hear his voice, to partner with him. Don't ever give that away. Okay, I'm getting stirred up here. I'm going to ask you just to bow your head, if you would. I say this all the time, but let me say it again. It's not more spiritual to bow your head. It's just easy for you not to be distracted by others. There's something of God's love poured out. There's something of God's heart reaching out. His hands calling people to him. There's a moving of the Spirit of God across the earth that is exalting Jesus and calling people to him. Not to church, not to organizations, not to parachurch organizations, but to Jesus. Will you hear what the Spirit's saying to the church? Maybe you've gotten your eyes off Jesus a little bit. Maybe you've got your eyes on other things. Maybe you've been hurt by people or the church or something, and, you've got to, and Jesus is calling you back to himself, to intimacy with him. He is the one who can restore you. Let me say this. It's not finding a better church. It's coming back to Jesus. 
I pray with some pastors on Thursday. And this last Thursday, one of them just felt uh, something of the Holy Spirit in praying for prodigals, people who had wandered away but maybe never even knew Jesus. And he related the story of Peter who denied Jesus. And after his resurrection, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Not do you love the values, not do you love the principles, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? I believe God is still saying that to some people. Do you love me? Maybe the church has hurt you. Maybe people in the church, maybe leaders. But do you love me? Will you get your focus back on me? As we prayed, we realized that there are a whole lot of people, some who have been part of churches, some who've gone to Christian schools who never met Jesus. What they met was religion. And Jesus is calling, do you love me? I want to redeem you. And he's saying something to us as a church. Will we fight to keep our focus on him? Will we fight to be empowered by his spirit? Will we fight to recognize that we partner with him? Just sit there for a moment, if you would, with your eyes closed. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. He's so much better at this than I am. He's the best communicator. Because he puts his finger on our hearts and he says, okay, here's where you've gotten your focus on the wrong place. If you haven't met him, the invitation from earlier says if you believe in Jesus, but there's something about following him, because Jesus says, follow me. Not follow the church, not follow leaders, follow me. Maybe you've struggled because in your thinking, accepting Jesus means joining a church. Many of us were raised in denominations that that's exactly what they taught us. You went through a class and when you passed, you were added to the church and you were, quote, saved. That's not the Bible. You come to Jesus. If you haven't met him, we would love to introduce you to him. Would you stand? I think we're going to do something. I don't know what, but 